Good morning, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. We've uh, made it into December and we're on the Advent countdown to Christmas. So kids, are you ready for a boogie this morning? So we're going to start with My Lighthouse. We've got some actions, uh, but before we start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, Lord, that we've, uh, we've all made it safely to this point, Lord. And as we start to go through Advent, Lord, we uh, remember uh, the birth of uh, baby Jesus who you sent to the world. Lord, this morning, we just want to give you all the praise and the glory as we worship you, as we hear your word. So, Lord, pour your spirit on us this morning. Lord, we, we really love you, Lord, and we want to worship you. Amen. In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Whoa, you are the peace in my troubled sea. Right. 
what a great way just to start a Sunday morning worshipping Jesus, being reminded that he is like that lighthouse shining. Uh, lighthouses stand on the edge of uh, a shore protecting in the midst of darkness and storm and raging sea. And that's a picture of who Jesus is, leading us safely to shore. Uh, and I, I want to encourage you that, that is, that's like a picture of this Advent season. Advent is known as this season of waiting. And so often it's this, this imagery of, of darkness into light. Uh, we've been looking at Isaiah 9 verse 6, exploring who Jesus is. And we're taking each week a uh, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And you can join us on a Monday evening at 7.30 on Zoom as we just gather together just for around 20 minutes, just to just to give some time to Jesus and let his presence uh, be uh, present to us. And so you can join us for that. But at the beginning of Isaiah 9, it reads that the... Um, the darkness, uh, the light shines in the darkness. And, and it says that those living in the land of the shadow of death, uh, a light has dawned. And um, it's this idea that we see within Advent is almost like a picture of life that, that it can be so dark, that, that life is hard, isn't it? But God is good. And God is the, good, the God who shines light in the darkness. And we see in this Advent season, 25 days, 24 days of, of waiting of waiting for that, what we celebrate on the 25th of December, the King comes. And it's like a, a little picture of the of the, the narrative of life that is, is this uh, hope and expectation that we live through so many dark times. And, and, and whether you're experiencing darkness now or not, uh, the world is a challenging place to live, isn't it? Um, but we need to hold on to the hope that the King is coming. The king will come and establish his rule and reign fully and completely. He is coming and we can know that there is going to be a light that ultimately shines in the darkness. And as John reminds us in his gospel, the darkness cannot, will not overcome it. And so we can be a people of hope in the midst of the darkness. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in this Advent season. It is a picture of life. It's a picture of our journey with Jesus that we, we hold on to the hope in the midst of the darkness, knowing that he will break forth and shine his light. And that's why we celebrate on the 25th of December, the birth of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, may we be a people that can, can hold on to the hope, that can worship in the midst of the darkness. There's a psalm in Psalm 57, David tells his soul to worship the, worship the Lord. And he says, My, I will awaken the dawn. I'm not going to wait for the, for the darkness to pass. I'm not going to wait for circumstances to shift. I'm not going to wait for that which normally wakes me up. I'm going to wake it up. I'm going to worship no matter what. In our waiting, we can be a community of people that worship. And so my prayer is that each one of us will know that whether we experience light or dark or all the shades in between, we would know and we would hang on to the anchor for our soul, the hope that is, the light that shines in Jesus into the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. So let's just continue to worship this morning together. Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, Jesus, the one who will come, who has come, who continually comes into our life on a daily basis and will ultimately come to establish his rule and reign. This long, dark, restless night is nearly done. The morning star shows it is nearly day. The morning lark and owl now sing as one. The owl is flying home, the lark will stay.
This long, dark, restless night is nearly done. As from my darker dreams I turn away and cling to dawn's faint hope, rise with the sun, the morning star shows it is nearly day. This long, dark, restless night is nearly done. The morning star shows it is nearly day. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand.
Hi guys, great to be online with you uh, this morning and um, just want to take this opportunity as we come to conclusion on our One Peter series that um, it's starting to speak into eldership and leadership and for those that were at our AGM you'll know that we're in a season of uh, setting the foundation for our eldership and uh, we've invited um, Alan and Phil to this season of discernment of just exploring whether it's right for them and right for the church just to step into eldership and so I wanted to take this opportunity to just have a conversation around uh, leadership uh, not not just because you guys are stepping into that in the church but actually that your leaders all of us lead in different areas uh, in business, in a business world, in local government, in the church, in in ministries internationally, and uh, and so um, just wanted to spend a bit of time just unpacking these verses that Peter speaks to directly elders, and uh, is saying that he's got the kind of authority to do it because he's an elder himself, and so uh, just wondered as we as we dive into these verses, what are your thoughts? Just uh, what are the things that jump out as we start to read these verses? Go for it. This is the awkward moment, isn't it, where we, we all we're really polite and wait for you get there to dive in. <laughs> it's humility, and we'll get there in a minute. There we go. Yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I, I think one of the really important things for me is that Peter doesn't set himself up as the chief elder, the one who's got all the authority to speak. He, he comes in and just says that as a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to, is going to be revealed so he's he's identifying himself with um with jesus and his suffering so he's not excluded from that if the master went through it he also has gone through it um but also he he, he doesn't use that um unique vantage point actually to lord it over fellow elders that's just one of the first things that really the, the reality is he's witnessed to the sufferings of jesus so he's he's been there he was you know if he wanted to lord it over people you know we talk about leaders uh, stewarding their influence and their power and everything else that actually he could if he wanted to he's got all legitimacy to say well i was there listen to me i, I should know what i'm talking about but actually he says no the reason that i i am who i am is because of who jesus is and i'm calling you to shepherd like jesus shepherd And even, even in that, there is submission to Jesus as the chief shepherd. So it's it's a admission that it's not anything that we have done. It's just what Jesus has done. And then Jesus has invited us to take a, a part in a leadership responsibility within that um, when he's talking about the, the chief shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. In verse four. Mm. Yeah. I, go on, Alan. Go. I was just going to say, I find the shepherd thing quite interesting, really, that, you know, about the not you know picking up from yeah what Ian and Phil say you know not lording it over people but sort of in partnership with people and for me it's interesting when you see the the, the sort of transference of uh, this sort of the, the way that Peter's describing how uh, you know shepherd the good shepherds humble shepherds should be in the bible uh, when you do actually transfer that into like you know for me it would be the business world you, you know um, and Obviously, uh, traditionally, it's like, do this, do that. If you don't do that, this is the consequence. Uh, you know, I'll reward you if you do this. Um, you have to do what I say, all that sort of stuff. And to be honest, that doesn't really work in practice. Um, but when you do sort of follow the example of Jesus, really, um, and then through Peter telling us about it, uh, the results, you know, not just in Christian circles, but out in the, I was going to say the real world. It's not the real world, but you know what I mean. Yeah. In the business world, you actually get cooperation and it, and it does actually become a partnership. And um, it's just interesting. 
and, and you can probably go on courses about this and you're like, Duh, it's already written down in there. <laughs> anyway. And I, 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 th I think, although this is addressing elders, you know, what some of you picked up there is that um, this isn't, I, I, th I don't think this is just isolated to church leadership. I think there's, you know, if we, if we take the, uh, the wisdom of John Maxwell, well-known Christian leadership guru guy, says that leadership is influence, then actually as Christians, we're all called to a level of leadership because we're all called to a level of influence. We're called to be the influencers, not influenced. And so therefore our leadership goes, what Peter's saying here, I think there's some principles that go beyond simply leading of church and actually how we lead our families, how we lead in our streets, how we lead in our workplaces, how we lead in families that perhaps don't know Christian, uh, don't know Jesus. And, and so actually I find it fascinating here that Peter's saying, I want, I want to call you to be shepherds because actually what that does is it places the focus not on productivity, not on results, but on people. Uh, I want you to shepherd. I want you to, what does a, sh what does a shepherd do? He cares for the sheep. And so I want you to be uh, in your leadership, be orientated by the care for the people that, that you get to influence, that you get to steward that influence with. And it's almost like he starts to speak into some of the heart of that that's revealed. Um, just reading through in verse two, it says, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, uh, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. And it's almost like he's saying there's, there's some heart attitudes here that I want you to reveal, which is not that you need to be forced into this, but do it willingly. You know, when, when, when we're parenting our kids, what does it look like to, to willingly shepherd them? Um, not, not feeling like, uh, you know, I, I have to do this, but a desire, not grudgingly, but I want to support them. I want to grow them. And, and I think, you know, for me, being, being a shepherd is, is, is not just about um, giving people your presence necessary, but giving your heart as well. It's, it's about loving the people that you're leading, willingly loving your kids. And, you know, he then goes on and talks about um, not greed for money, but eagerly. So are we going to are we going to do it out of greed or out of servanthood? Are we just going to serve the people around us for our own needs, our own wants? Uh, and then I think he talks about um, not lording it over people, but interesting. It's, it's about power or influence, isn't it? Um, where, where does it say um, not lording it over people, those interested, but being an example to the flock. So I'm going to I'm going to influence. I'm not going to I'm not going to show power and, and, and demand those people respect me. But actually, I'm going to I'm going to influence and I'm going to I'm going to let my uh, life display the chief shepherd, as you said, Phil. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that actually in all of this talk about leadership and what Peter communicates is it, it's never about. Um, particular styles um, or skill set for leaders he's he's talking about character and he's getting to the, the heart of of a leader and of a shepherd that is is other focused um, and I think so often we can concentrate on the skills and the competencies in in leadership that we lose sight of the the, the vital nature of, of of character being the very thing that drives um, mm. you know, good leadership if you like um, the other thing, just in terms of the shepherd um, uh, conversation we were having, was the it, it, picking up on on Jesus' restoration of Peter, and he says, "Feed my sheep." So Peter is 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 being restored into a position of of leadership and influence. You know, he, you know, we we you know we can we can if we don't know the story, you can read the story of Peter's fall and. Um, denial of Jesus, but then a restoration of Jesus uh, of Peter, and it's that feed my sheep. So I think Peter then communicating this need for 
those of influence within God's people to, to be ones that are feeding others, are uh, enabling others or leading people to Jesus in order that they may feed off Jesus and know Jesus and be found in Jesus rather than a dependency upon the, the leaders per se. And I think it's really unhealthy when there's a, a, an over-dependence on leadership for, for everything um, that's built around that, that, that leadership culture rather than the leaders serving people to say, we, we want to lead you to Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, who is the one who's, who is the bread of life, who is the one who is the sustainer, who is the one who redeems, who is the one who heals. And, and I think that's a real challenge for, um, for, for leadership. Yeah, Some, sometimes it's about leading the sheep into the, the green field with plenty of grass and letting them feed themselves rather than going sort of hand to mouth, so to speak. Yeah, that really resonates with me. Which can be really challenging isn't it? because often the culture says um, leadership is, uh, you know, is shown by the amount of uh, say you have over people and uh, how much you can control. And, and that's a real challenge, isn't it? Actually, what he's saying here is you need to lead these people uh, in your family, in your streets. You're leading them to the chief shepherd. Uh, and then in verse four, and you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What a beautiful picture. Uh, well, I mean, this, this may be a bit of a theological question, but what do you think that crown of glory is that's unfading in verse four that, that Peter is saying, you know, you lead people to this chief shepherd? There's probably like millions of right answers, but to me it speaks of things like inheritance and, mm. you know, sonship being adopted, all, all that sort of stuff, rather than a, it certainly doesn't, you know, you know it's, um, it's the prize, you know, that we're sort of all running towards and the hope the hope that we have um so i've probably ticked off quite a few <laughs> I, I i think you're right and i think it just speaks of that which is um that which is to come so we don't have everything in the here and the now and we don't know everything fully in the here and the now and we don't fully get it now um but that one day the chief shepherd will return and will gather his flock and will gather his people and we we will be with him and 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 I think I think leadership within the church is it does carry a weight of responsibility, but it's out of a position of of, of servanthood and um, serving others, just as Christ has has served mm-hmm. us. And so, yeah, that that unfading crown of glory is that actually one day we'll get to to rule and reign with Him under His rule and leadership, and and it will it will never fade. Like the, his kingdom will never end, his rule will never end, his dominion will never end, and, and we get to participate with him in that, and it'll, it can never be taken. And I think that for us is the that's what we want to. I think as elders, that's what we want to call people to is is not to just the the, the temporary, not just the here and now, but the the vision of that which is to come, which is available in Christ. I, I think that's part of our responsibility. I think, I think for me, I'm, I'm always, I'm always hesitant to say um, what certain, like what crown of glory means um, in reality. But for me, it just reminded me of the story in Mark about the widow, where where Jesus um, witnesses the widow giving all of that she had, and it goes back to what we we're talking about in the heart. Uh, with Jesus, it's the matter of the heart and our attitude over the results, and so not necessarily looking to examples of leadership saying oh look how the size of their flock or look at the amazing things they're doing but because Jesus always looks at our hearts 
and only he knows what's going on there and to take that attitude moving forward and I think you know when we go into glory we'll be surprised at who is you know honored based on based on their heart and, and just how much they love Jesus and uh, and what fruit they saw out of that versus what we see as you know the results on the outside yeah yeah and the other thing I, I, I absolutely felt I think the other thing of it is that um, the pathway to glory is suffering you know it's you know jesus jesus was glorified having suffered and you know given his life and i think the for us as, as not just as leaders but followers of jesus actually it's we we will suffer some stuff in this life um, but it's it pales into insignificance in, in when we view that which is to come and i think that's what enables us to in, in, embrace life and all that it challenge all the challenges that come because we know that one day jesus is going to make all things new did you speak and i was reminded i was i was searching for it because my bible knowledge knows the verses but can always forgets the chapter and verse of them but i was reminded of one john 3 2 uh, which says um dear friends we are god's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed we know that when he appears we will be like him because he we will see him as he is I wonder if that's something of the crown of glory that is less about what we receive and it's more about him mm. that actually in that moment we will become like him uh, and see him as he is and uh, yeah i find that uh, firstly i find that a little bit freeing in that when we look at our own leadership you know i fail you get you get it wrong in our parenting in in business world in in church we get these things wrong we're not jesus we're not the chief shepherd uh, and that, that needs to be reminded of, of both those of us that are leading, but also those that are following leaders and our expectation of those that we follow. Um, but there'll, there'll come a day where we will see Jesus in his fullness and we will be like him. Um, and what a day that's going to be. What an amazing moment that is when we see him fully, not, not like through a glass dimly, but actually as he is. Uh, and this crown of glory that is revealed to us. Um, for me, that... That keeps me humbly serving the chief shepherd, which is like a lovely one show link onto the next theme. <laughs> Are we going on to humility, John? <laughs> Might we move on to humility? Because <laughs> the next verse is, let's, let's move on. It says in verse five, it says, in the same way you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourself, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he goes on and talks again, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so he may exalt you in the proper time. Um, humility moves from this leadership conversation, which flows maybe aptly into the objective humility. Definitely, yeah. Actually, Ian, I think you, you mentioned something just a few moments ago about uh, servanthood and, uh, you know, and to lead is to serve. And, you know, Christ Jesus was there you know an amazing example of the servant who who led and it it was sort of struck me in my head when you were talking about um uh, that a leader isn't someone who controls and, and and even delegates things so they can just sit back there and go right you do you you know but uh, leads by example by service uh uh and um yeah it just it just really struck me about that servanthood thing and you know we're not forcing people to come into in in the same way that god and jesus don't force themselves on us it's a you know it's an invitation and yeah yeah i, I love i love that it says clothe yourself with humility um that 
you know, I can see all of your clothes. Thank the Lord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, this, this, the idea that clothes are seen, aren't they? They're, they're evidence, they're, they're, they're visual. And I think of Jesus with, with his serving, it wasn't, it wasn't just a concept. It wasn't just a, you know, be, be a servant leader just in doing, you know, what, what you do. But actually he got down on his knees and he washed dirty feet. This was practical uh, serving, servanthood, humbling yourself in order to, to, to not kind of, you know, humility isn't lowering yourself. It's glorifying God, isn't it? And it's saying God is, God is powerful under the mighty hand of God. God is all powerful and I know my place within that and I'm, I'm serving the people that God has put around me in order to lead them to the one who is higher than, than anyone else. Um, and, and we see that in Jesus. We see that in his leadership and his love of his disciples. Yeah, I can't remember who said it, but humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself self less. Yeah. And um, it's, yeah. it's great, isn't it? Because it's just been, it, the, the posture of humility is towards others, first and foremost, and how we our life impacts them. And I think we, um, I, I think we're naive if we, do, if we don't think that our actions don't impact on other people. And who we are doesn't impact on other people because it does and i think if we and this is where i think self-awareness not just for leaders for everybody is really important like what are the things that i do that actually have an adverse effect upon people yeah. that um that, that affects them or or positively you know it's not just the negative but how do i live in such a way that helps other people to become all that god has purposed them to be and i and i think that's that's the attitude of humility that we see expressed in Christ. It's not thinking, oh, I can't do anything, because that's rubbish, actually. Because God's purposed us to participate in his body for his glory. So he has given us gifts to do. And I, I think humility is recognizing what he's called us to do and operating yeah. out of that because we know it's it's gift of grace. I think pride comes when we want to be something or do something that we're not designed to do because we think somehow it's going to elevate our status. Mm. Yeah. So I think that, so that just for me is a reflection of a prideful attitude where if we go, actually, no, I recognize that this is a gift of grace and I'm going to operate in a way that benefits others. I think that's clothing ourselves with humility. And it, um, I think it was really reflecting just before we started to, to, you know, chat a little bit about this, this idea of clothing yourself, um, one commentator suggested and in, in the society of the time of Peter's writing that actually clothes were a reflection of status and, and the significance of, of where people were in the social social order. And so for, for the Christian, um, whether you're leader or, you know, an elder in the church or not an elder in the church, whether you, you know, you're rich or you're poor, or whether you're middle class or working class, whether you're black or you're white or whatever kind of grouping you would you, you kind of put yourself in, it, it doesn't matter actually for the Christian because those things are, it's not that they're not real, it's just that they're insignificant in our call to be the people of God. And so we all clothe ourselves in humility and it's therefore a reflection of our unity as God's people that says, this is who we are. We are, we're posturing ourselves to serve others. And I think that for me is the, the power of the church when you've got all of these yeah. different people from different backgrounds, clothing themselves in the humility of Christ and serving one another, loving one another. I mean, that is a powerful, powerful bit picture to a world that is divided, full of hate, full of all that kind of stuff that we see um, so often. Very good.
I, I, I just noticed as well that um, the next verse is such a famous verse. And in fact, actually, I think as we're recording today, um, it, it's the it's the verse on the Bible app that just gets taken out as a single verse. Cast all your cares onto him because he cares about you. And it's just this verse that we know. And um, But it's interesting, isn't it, that the, the context of that actually is um, humility under that mighty hand of God, cast all your cares onto him. It's almost like this humility. It's like you've said, Ian, humility isn't thinking less of ourselves, um, but it's, it's thinking um, about ourselves less and it's considering God. And it's putting him in his rightful place. And, I, you know, those verses about um, casting all your cares, it's an anxiety verse, isn't it? It's, it's, it's so, so prevalent in our world. That anxiety is such a big thing. And we carry these cares around. But actually, the context of this verse is saying there's a, there's a, there's a humility that comes, which says this isn't about putting me at the centre of the story. This isn't about putting all the circumstances and the situations that I'm facing as the, as the, as the thing that defines me. I'm underneath God. And when I, when I humble myself under God, then I'm able to say that concern, that anxiety, I can I can hand it to him, um, and 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 that's not to simplify anxiety, and you know these things can be crippling, and um, you know I'm sure all of us can speak into that in some degree, if not from the past couple of years, certainly through our lifetime. But there's there's something about saying that uh, for me personally, like when I'm worried or anxious, it, I so often put myself back, and it's everything's on me, the weight of the world. God seems so much smaller, problems seem so much bigger. But actually here, there's a humility to say, no, God, you are the mighty one. You are the powerful one. Help me to put that perspective back in place. Yeah. For me, it just links back to what Ian just said in terms of um, pride and, and trying to do things for the wrong reasons, trying to do things for their own reason. And for me, when I'm at my most anxious, I have to sort of uh, investigate my rationale for agreeing to do something or taking on this project or trying to push myself further. And a lot of the time, it's just it's just my own sort of selfish ambition in that. And I'm anxious because, you know, I've potentially sort of stepped out without God prompting me to. And so for me, those two are, are massively linked. It's about, you know, seeking God's will. And um, as Ian said, uh, using what God's given us, not trying to sort of supersede that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, it's good. I, I think the other thing for this, like particularly this verse, really, is sort of it really provokes our unbelief. Mm. so what do we truly believe about god and his his power and his authority and his care for mm. us because you know I, you've rightly said john i mean in terms of anxiety there are people are have that in different levels and different reasons for all kinds of things so um but i think as a as a follower of jesus we've, we've got to go what are the things i'm truly believing about god yeah and and so therefore uh, coupled with you know some expert help actually in, mm. in anxiety because i think that's that's really important to acknowledge that sometimes you know you just you need some a professional to walk through some of those things with you but it's also if we if, if we, it, as a follower of jesus we, i i've got to ask those questions you know so just this week you know i you know i get an email and it invokes all kinds of anxiety in in me you kind of go oh, you know what's going on there and i and therefore i have to ask the question why why am i responding internally to that email in such a way what's it revealing about my unbelief about god and about my, myself that has that then i have to address and say well cast all your cares upon him he cares for me why because he's the chief shepherd yeah he's the one that is the carer of souls he's the one that is the restorer he's the one that is the healer he's the one that i you know took all of that burden and laid it upon himself and so therefore i'm going to rest in jesus and, and 
help, help Jesus help me in my unbelief. Yeah. I think it's, it's fascinating, isn't it, that, that you bring up that issue of unbelief because um, the next verses go on to speak about uh, Satan and about the devil is a prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. And, you know, those verses come under the context of don't forget who God is. Mm. Don't forget who he is. He's the mighty God, but you need to be aware that you're in a battle and it's a battle against our own flesh that will try and convince us and like you're saying thoughts of unbelief and behavior patterns that we get ourselves in uh, that that reduce god down to something that he's not uh, and then there's there's this there's this devil that is not uh, i think i think peter makes it very clear here he's not he's not some concept i think the, the bible makes it very clear that this isn't you know it's not like this it's just evil in the world that's that's the devil it's just the evil in the world i've heard people say that before he's not a real person it's just it's just a principle of of evil in the world but actually i think scripture and peter here is making it clear that this is this is a being this is this is someone who 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 tempts those of us that are are followers of jesus inflicts suffering is is sowing discord among among believers is trying to blind the eyes of unbelievers is is like a roaring lion uh, that's seeking to devour and he says so you need to stand firm because you're in a battle yeah i i think um i think this is somewhere that we um i think we need to be really careful because we need to sort of um uh, what's the right word uh, realize sometimes who the real enemy is because we're, we're very quick to villainize other people or even, even us probably ourselves most of the time um, but really, there is this ba battle that Paul talks about loads as well with the unseen forces that is constantly going on. Um, and, and I think sometimes maybe we uh, do, maybe sometimes we blame too much without realising, you know, without realising. But And also sometimes maybe we get too fascinated with that battle as well and give, give it give it too much due. But um, I like what Alistair said on Sunday, actually, you know, about how we, oh, that's the devil's fault. The devil's done this to me, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> it's a pretty tough sort of um, uh, thing to get your head around, but we're, we're, <laughs> I don't know how to put it in the right way, but we're, we're either in God's will or we're not. And if we're in God's will, it's, it's no accident the verse before is God's mighty, cast all your anxieties on him and all that he will provide. He's victorious. Because if we're in, in, if we're in his will in that place, um, we've, got, we've been given all authority. So we've got, there's no need for fear. Uh, and we don't need to dwell, really. It's just recognise what the enemy is. As I think it's Peter says, put put it, you know, he'll flee, put him behind you and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And try not to give it too much time, but also recognise. For, for me, the biggest thing is uh, not to see people. And this is the hardest thing, not to see other people as the enemy. Mm. So when they, you know, especially maybe even in Christian circles, you know, because we all annoy each other and all that sort of stuff. And, oh, it's, it's blah, blah, blah. But, but also outside, really, really important. And the, the fact is the Bible, the whole of the Bible is just the story of God's rescue plan for the whole of humanity. No one's excluded. We're, you know, he came for everyone and the invitation is for everyone. And it really, it sort of soberly reminds me a lot, especially when we're making judgments about people, which we shouldn't be doing anyway that actually God came for them. So I should be going for them as well. Yeah, I, lo I lo love what you just said, Alan. I think it's, for me, um, so much of my um, maturity is sometimes has, has come out of like an overcorrection over of sort of bad Christian behavior that I've seen. And I just adopt, sort of, I go too far the other way. And, and my, my concepts to like the devil and um, 
and and his work sometimes I, I feel that way because in in that experience I feel like it, it's almost used as an excuse for bad behavior it's like oh the devil made me do it and it's interesting it says here it says be self-controlled and alert it's like there is personal responsibility here because if we are in Jesus if we are looking to him if we are in relationship and spending time with him the devil's got no chance but we we are still called to that um, alert states and to um, be wary of 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 his influence um, and his actions. So, um, yeah, for me that, that's really resonating. It's really good. I remember hearing one speaker say that the image is like of a roaring lion. It's like a, a chained lion. That the post is in the ground. They probably robbed this from like Spurgeon or someone. But it's um, the, the lion is chained and it only has a certain. It's restricted. It only has a certain yeah. amount of space. And and you can go into that space and you'll be devoured but it's restricted uh, that God is still the one in complete control. The enemy does not have all say. It's not one little devil one side and God on the other. They're not equal in any way, shape or form. He is chained and restricted. Um, and so, you know, as you're saying there, Phil, um, you know, resist, stand firm, uh, learn, learn that you're in a battle, absolutely. But, um, but you, you can, you can in, in, in different ways resist uh, that devil that is prowling. We get, go back to suffering. It's you know, the, the next verse. It's, you know, um, because, you know, your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. This goes back to what Ian was saying earlier. There's, there, there is suffering and there will be trials in this. But it's again, it's about standing firm and, and knowing that, that God's, um, God's in control. Um, and these, these sort of times of testing are, you know, number one, being experienced by all of our brothers and sisters throughout the world. I think we, we probably exist in a, in, a, in a very privileged state. Um, but also it's those sufferings um create fruit and develop character in us which which god uh, continues to use as well yeah yeah absolutely and i, I think god, god absolutely uses this stuff to shape us and mm -hmm. the other thing is that we um that we can't we can't do this in our own power mm. so um to resist him is in our own strength and effort is is futile um so therefore stand firm in your faith um, you know what? Who, what's the faith? Well, it's, the, it's in our faith is in the one who's conquered already, and one day will firmly establish. It goes on to say, doesn't it? Um, uh, after after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's like this. This is the reason we can stand firm because at the cross. In the, through the resurrection, Christ has done it. And in the interim period between now and that point when everything is restored and renewed, um, the devil is, he, he is, he's, he's real and he's a foe and he's, he's going to try and destroy and disrupt. But actually we, because of the resurrection power of Christ in us, like we can resist him. Mm. So he's called us to, to participate with him in the, in ruling and I think sometimes we forget this. I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we are, we're not just in a material world. There is a spiritual realm and they're not separated. There is this, this uh, in a, uh, you know, as on earth as it is in heaven, you know, language of God's the, the prayer Jesus gave us, is that we recognize that there's a spiritual dynamic to what we're fighting. So we can't just fight in our own flesh. We actually surrender to Jesus and in the context of community to enable us to be able to resist the enemy's tactics 
in order so and through being sober-minded and watchful I, I think we can't, you know, there's, there's certain, you know, Phil, you said there, like there's responsibility that we've, we've got to take. We, we have to take responsibility for our actions, you know, um, uh, but I, I think there's this, the, the, being aware of the schemes of the evil one is not just a, a me thing, it's an us thing. And therefore <clears throat> taking it, you know, back into the earlier verses of, of eldership then the oversight of eldership is not just simply to make people keep in check, is it? It's, it's actually so that we're aware of what God is doing and the activity of the spirit and, and helping us collectively stay the course. Yeah, great. Uh, guys, I think we're going to draw things to a close, but I think something you just said there, Ian, just two things to, to end with is those final verses, 12 through to 14, I think they remind the people, like they're reminding them, guys, you're in this battle, but you're not alone in this battle. You know, he just lists these uh, Silas and um, where's where this he's mentioning? Um, she who is in Babylon. Most commentators think that means he's talking about the church, maybe talking about a specific woman, but it's, you know, it's the, the church who was in Babylon. Rome was known as Babylon at that time. So it's just reminding you, you're not on your own. And there's Mark as well, my son. Um, and he's just saying, guys, you're in this battle, but you're not alone. You're not fighting it in isolation. And so as we, as we acknowledge this battle we're in, guys, we're not in it alone. We, we've got each other. You know, we support each other in gospel communities as part of a, a church family. And, um, and there's that reminder. And I think for me, I think, what, I think the best place to end in, 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 in 1 Peter is, as we've explored what it is to be a holy community, that it's hard. That, that living the life that Jesus calls us to live so much, if you go back through Peter about what it means to be um, uh, a living in exile, living like you don't belong, working uh, under masters that may be abusive, husbands and wives, the evil that's around us, suffering. This is all really challenging stuff. But he says in verse 10, essentially, don't forget the end of the story has already been written. We win. We know, we know what happens to God, the God of all grace who called you uh, to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, support. Love to unpack those words if we had time. Uh, for after you suffered a little while, to him uh, be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's the end of the story, isn't it? We know, we know, we know what happens. Let it spur us on to live for him. Guys, thanks so much. Thanks for your wisdom. Thanks for uh, stepping into this season and just exploring God together. And it's a privilege to do that alongside you. And um, uh, hey, let's enjoy the ride. Well, thank you for tuning in this morning. Hope that's been a blessing to you. As we've just concluded our study in 1 Peter, what it means for us to be a holy community. Consecrate yourselves. As we took a step out of Joshua, we're going to be stepping back into Joshua, into the new year. Exciting series ahead of us. Um, but I want to encourage you next week, why don't you join us on the 12th at 10.30 uh, on Rother Street at the URC. Uh, we're going to be having our family nativity, all age. Everybody can come dressed up, young, old, come dressed up from a character from the nativity. We're going to celebrate that together. Be a great time uh, that we'll have as we just remember the story of Christmas together in a way that only OCC can as we celebrate together. Don't forget a Monday evening as well at 7.30. You can join us on Zoom just during this Advent season as we just take just a few minutes, just 20 minutes together, just to pause and enjoy God's presence in this season of waiting. So I just want to encourage you, have a, have a great week and know that God's light shines in the darkness, that we know the end, no matter what the battles we may be facing are, we know that he has all power and authority, that he is God and he is in control and he loves you. So have a blessed week. God bless you.